judge a person and it turns out you didn't have the whole story? Ever learn there was a lot more to that story than you first realized? I'm Kimberly. And I'm Rebecca. Join us as we separate the little lies from the big reputations. Welcome back. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. (sighs) How are you this week? I mean, I feel like I'm always like, I guess, like, (laughs) <laughs> this week is is this week is is like last week but it's just now it's fall kind yeah. of yeah it, it is actually like fall weather i put yeah. on something that had sleeves today for the first time in forever i haven't switched out of my shorts yet though so mm. that'll be like the official fall but like i love fall like september october november are like my favorite months like they're the best i booked all my fall activities there's gonna be apple picking pumpkin looking at because like there's no reason for me to pick any pumpkins like what is that <laughs> we go and we look at them look at the pumpkins all that's right. cool maybe you tried to carve a pumpkin it's like very hard it, it seems it's, it's hard i don't enjoy it no um Unless you have, I, like, power tools but like that feels like a lot yeah we got a pumpkin in our food share and um we're gonna i don't know well what did we do with it? We we eat it last night. Well, I mean, if you oh was- yeah, yeah. We had a pumpkin bolognese, but with a uh, veggie ground. What is veggie ground? It's just like a soy product that has the texture of ground beef. Okay, ish. It's not like I wouldn't just, I wouldn't substitute it for everything. Like I wouldn't sit there and make a hamburger out of it. But okay. it works really well in like tacos, lasagna, things that you mix it into. I feel like it it works pretty well. So it was really good. But he also found a recipe Sean did um, for like cooking rice inside of a pumpkin. So he's very excited to try that. And I'm like, I I just want the seeds, like toast up the seeds and let me eat them. And then mash everything and make pumpkin cookies. Okay. Yes. I'm here for that. I love the flavor of pumpkin things, but like the idea of making it myself seems... It's effort. It's like a real task. Yeah. Yeah. Like I made like some kind of like spaghetti squash thing one time and it was like a real labor. Spaghetti squash is effort. They're so much harder than you think they're going to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess our kind of problems of the week are nothing compared to some people out there, right? <laughs> Not to play like, oh, woe is me Olympics here or anything, but there's definitely people who are facing harder issues than we yeah, are. We definitely have like first world problems. Um, I think you're talking about what I posted on Instagram the other day about Piper Lewis. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody knows. I mean, her story has been kind of making its way through media now. So like, according to CNN, an Iowa judge's ruling this week ordered Piper Lewis, who was 15 when she killed a man who raped her multiple times, was ordered to pay his family $150,000 in restitution. This whole conversation has reignited what justice looks like for girls and young women who have experienced sexual violence. Piper Lewis received a deferred judgment from a Polk County District Judge, David Porter, after pleading guilty to voluntary manslaughter and willful willful injury. So I went online and I was like, okay, she shouldn't have to pay this. None of us should have to pay this. But like, where's your GoFundMe? Because like, let's do it. So I donated on behalf of big reputations. But when I looked at it, it's over $500,000 of money. Like, yeah. People were like, this is not okay. Donate, donate, donate. So like, not only does she have the money that she needs to pay this dude's family, there's also restitution to the state, which was like 4K. Now she has all this money. She wants to go to college. Like, she's going to be able to do that. Like, her life is, this whole thing, like, really changed her life. And like, now, I guess, for the better. But the fact that she was even in jail, the fact that she had to plead guilty when she was the victim, like, It's all fucking insane. And it rings very Centoya Brown, which was like the third, our third podcast episode. We talk about Centoya Brown, I believe. Second, It was the second one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we jumped on that right away. And and I was just thinking about that as you're describing Piper's situation. Like, Mm -hmm. imagine if some of those same tools had been around in Centoya Brown's case and like, 
uh, uh, the awareness that I think much more people have nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, like she didn't have to do a bunch of appeals. Like Sintoya did appeals for years to like get out. Like, I mean, this girl did like, I mean, I think Sintoya pleaded guilty well, as well. That might have been the difference. So I don't recall yeah. now. You'll have to go back and listen to that episode um, and, and remind us. But I don't know if the difference is the the pleading guilty or if it's the yeah i'm not i'm not really sure but just to see such differences between the two cases mm-hmm. it does speak to uh, i don't want to say progress because it's not really progress because it's still so yeah. fucked up but she's not being imprisoned yeah. for decades of her life you know it's i guess tiny, tiny baby steps so like i guess we can cheer the tiny progress that was given that apparently this was like a very lenient, uh, the judge was really lenient with her. So says like a bunch of articles that I read because um, she's have she's going to have like five years probation and she has to pay all this money, but like she could be in jail for the next five years. So I guess that there is some sort of progress to how we treat sex trafficking victims, but it's not happening quickly enough. Like no, she shouldn't be on probation for five years. She should be somewhere getting therapy for all that she probably went through, right? Like exactly. I, I I don't I don't get it. It is, and it sounds you're right. It sounds so terrible to have to be like, oh my god, thank you for the progress, but things are still terrible, you know. Yeah. Like, but that's kind of what it's like. It's like, yeah, at least she's not in jail, but probation for so probation for five years, and then like apparently it wipes the sentence away, so she won't be like a felon because she was underage. Yes, and that's the difference. That's the difference. If she was tried as a minor, Sintoya Brown was tried as an adult, even though she was a minor. Mm -hmm. As my first thought was like, how is she supposed to pay all this money if she's a felon? What 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 jobs do felons get that would pay them enough money to pay this restitution off? Like make it make sense judicial system like that's not how it works and i was like hopefully there's a gofundme because she's never gonna pay that off like there are people with college degrees who could not pay that off right now it me yeah <laughs> imagine <laughs> the payment plan jesus christ like i i just don't understand how also i don't know if the family could have been like hey thanks we don't want restitution because our kid was a rapist like i don't know how that works I don't know enough about the case and the family's position in it, but the fact that it was even a a case to begin with has yeah. to mean that somebody there was looking for compensation. Yeah, I don't it's it's apparently it's built into the law. So maybe the laws need to be changed. You think? <laughs> There's a few I would uh I I'd be okay with changing. Burn the whole constitution and start over. You know, we're going to be talking about new constitutions later in the episode today, so it's not too far from it. But anyway, is there any is there any good news? Like, what'd you do today? Is there good things? Yeah i I took my students on a field trip, <laughs> an adult field trip. Yeah, it's kind of cool. I teach a class called Arts in New York City, and I actually teach two sections: one at Baruch College and one at City College. And we went to MoMA PS One. That's sort of like a sub branch of MoMA that's located in Queens in Long Island City. And it's really cool. It, it's it's a lot smaller, um, yeah. much more personal exhibits and everything. And yeah, I had them meet me out there that or the Baruch students came with me. And then I invited the city college students to come join us so that I could like walk through any questions they might have, help them out here and there. And if they couldn't make it today, then they just were responsible for going on their own. And MoMA PS1 is great because if you're from New York, you can get in for free. Yeah, they should do that with everything. I want free Broadway tickets. I want or discounted because I live here. Mm-hmm. That's a rant for another episode. But I'm glad you enjoyed that museum. That museum made me realize I don't like modern art. That's fair. Modern art is stupid. And I would much rather see a picture that someone painted of a horse than what I saw in the basement of MoMA once, that MoMA, the one that you went to, which was just like upside down denim spray painted gold. Okay. All right. Well, that's very different from what we saw. We saw an exhibit. There was one called Growing Abolition, which was a garden exhibit Mm -hmm. um, that is an art project that is also a growing project that is in 
a connection with the Lower East Side Girls Club or something. So it is um, a community-based one. Mm -hmm. And then there was an exhibit that was primarily photography, but also had some ephemera, some stuff and things that was called Life Between Buildings. And it was all about like those spaces in between buildings in New York where like things grow or they don't grow or like kind of looking at the differences uh, between them. So that was mostly photography. I thought that one was pretty cool. See, that's pretty cool. I now think it's I... a luck of the draw. I think yeah, something right? like, something like MoMA that. PS1 is luck of the draw because it has like these ever-changing exhibits. Mm-hmm. I also like photography way more than like any kind of, I don't know. Well, yeah, you should like... join us later in the semester. We're going to go to the International Center of Photography. I have not been to the new one. I've gone to the old one. And then I remember it just disappeared. And I was like, wait, where is it now? And now it's like on the Lower East Side. So I will absolutely, we'll discuss it off air. But like, I will absolutely <laughs> go to that. I, I love photography. So that was my day. And it was a gorgeous day for it. It was like the perfect like early fall day where it was like just 70 maybe. Oh, it was wonderful. I loved it. No, it sounds like a good day. Yeah. How about you? Anything else going on with you? Nothing good. Like, I mean, aggravated about stuff. Oh, I did get to, did I talk about those pink period panties? And I was like, I'll give you a review. Yeah. You mentioned you were going to. Yes. They're great. Only thing I don't like about it. And I think it's, it's totally like sizing on like my butt for them to be, I got like boy shorts and for them to be like super comfortable, like I have to wear them a little bit lower, which just means like I've got like plumber's crack, but that's just like my butt. I don't know if you've, I'm not going to post a picture of my butt on the internet, <laughs> but if you happen to see a picture, I have a large derriere. So it's like, oh, okay. That makes sense. Why her butt would stick out the top of those. But I was talking to you about it the other day. I've decided to like lean into capitalism and now when I want to do research for something that I want to buy, I just talk about it in front of my phone. So I was just like, think period panties, but not as expensive. Plus size. I wonder where I can get those. And then just proceeded to get every Instagram ad for like six different companies. Yeah. Found another company. They had some massive sale. So I bought like four pairs. So like I will do a review on those as well. Um, but I was just like, this is ingenious. And it's like, I don't know who's who's fooling who. Like, Right. It's so creepy. Know? But at the same time, you're using it to your benefit. So I, I respect that. I, don't know, I feel like both of us are like, got them because like capitalism won. But like also, so did I. I <laughs> yeah, I was because we were talking about endometriosis last time. And all of a sudden mm-hmm. my Instagram ads were about that. And I was like. Um, a little late, a little late Instagram already had that dealt with. <laughs> but you know what's better than periods? Everything. Yes. But also <laughs> Patreon members. Yes. We have a new one. We want to welcome Kristen E. Thank you so much for becoming a Patreon member. We appreciate you. Not only do we have a new Patreon in Kristen E., it is also her birthday. So happy, happy birthday. We hope it is an amazing one. Thank you again for your support. Happy birthday. And Kristen's going to get access to our Little Reputations podcast. Yeah, we just had an episode come out on Paula Abdul. So if you're interested in that, sign up for Patreon and give it a listen. So thank you, Kristen. Now let's get into our episode, our big reputation for the week. So we're going to be discussing the woman who the Philippines refers to as the mother of democracy, the first female president in Asia, Corazon Aquino. We will cover her run for president, the reaction of her opposition, and the struggles she faced in terms of her background and her policy decisions. Then we'll address the changes that actually took place under her rule, including the establishment of democracy, a redistribution of land, and what happened when her time in office was coming to an end. Finally, we'll wrap up with what Aquino did after her presidency was over, the ways in which she fought for continued democracy in the Philippines, and how the world sees her today. So just a few trigger warnings for murder and gun violence. Very minor, but yes. (laughs) Still. Maria Corazon Sumulong Conjuanco known as Corazon or Cory. That's probably easier, right? Yeah, and also very pretty. (laughs) Very pretty. Mm -hmm. 
was born January 25th, 1933 in Paniki, Tarlac, in the Philippines. Her parents, Jose Conjuanco, a prominent businessman and former congressman, and Demetria Sumalong, a pharmacist, owned a sugar plantation, were quite wealthy and came from well-known political families. Corazon was the sixth of eight children. Her education was super important to her parents. She attended private school in the Philippines before attending high school in the U.S. and then finally coming to New York for college. She attended the College of Mount St. Vincent. Do you know who else went there? No. Betty Broderick. I don't know who that is. That might be a state tune. Look, she's a legit murderer, but she had reasons. Okay. We'll discuss it. They, okay. So there's like a Dirty John series about Betty Broderick. It stars Amanda Peet, who is the absolute worst. But it is very interesting, and it made me really interested in this woman's life. Like, just think early 80s divorce. Like, how shittily women were treated. So gotcha. that gotcha. might be a station. But like, back to Corey. She enjoyed her time at Mount St. Vincent, where she majored in French. She also spoke Tagalog, Kapu Kagong, English, and Japanese. She returned to the Philippines to attend law school at Far Eastern University. It was there where she met her future husband, Benigno Ninoy Aquino Jr. She later left law school to raise their five children. Uh, he apparently wasn't like Marty Ginsburg. <laughs> they might have had different circumstances. I'm sure they did. I'm sure they did. Uh, but it made me think of that just because that's such a unique uh, situation for that time, right? Yeah. In 1961, Aquino's husband, a member of the Liberal Party, became the youngest governor ever elected. And in 1967, he became the youngest elected senator in the country. At this point, Aquino was a housewife who raised their children and hosted political allies of her husband who visited their home. She opted not to join her husband on stage during rallies. Instead, she remained in the audience to listen. Her inheritance helped to fund his candidacy. Sounds nice. Yeah, and that was something that actually wasn't publicly known until later on. Hmm. Uh, Aquino's husband became one of the leading critics of Ferdinand Marcos, the then dictatorial president of the country. He was seen as a strong candidate to replace Marcos in the 1973 election. But before that could happen, in 1972, Marcos declared martial law and abolished the Constitution that would have prevented him from seeking a third term. Suspicious. Yeah, he, Marcos, for him, Marcos was a terrible, terrible person. With the declaration of martial law, Benigno Aquino Jr. was arrested and sentenced to death. Aquino and Marcos had a very public political feud, so the motivations for the arrest were pretty clear. Aquino was one of the first people arrested on fake charges of legal possession of firearms and murder. With martial law, there was no recourse in getting him out. Yeah. So, you know, change the laws to suit your needs and then do what you want with them. Mm -hmm. Lovely. Despite his wife's initial opposition, Benigno Aquino Jr. decided to run in the 1978 elections from his prison cell. Corazon campaigned for her husband on the outside and even delivered a political speech on his behalf. Two years later, Benigno suffered a heart attack, but with intervention from U.S. President Jimmy Carter, he was allowed exile to the U.S. to seek medical care in 1980. So, like, when you said the family was, like, prominent former congressmen, like, you were not kidding. Like, it couldn't have been easy to get this family moved. Like, their political connections really worked out for them here. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The family moved to Boston, Massachusetts, and remained there for three years. And according to Corazon, these were some of the happiest years of her marriage and her family life. In Boston? Yeah. Boston's cool. Boston, you're my home. What? That's right. <laughs> Love that dirty water. I don't know what you're talking I don't know what this is. Is this a song? Yes. My Massachusetts listeners know what I'm talking about. You, you, you're with me. You with me, mass listeners. Love that dirty water. What's oh the my goodness? Water. I'm gonna make you listen to the song later. What is the dirty water? I'm so confused. <laughs> the Charles River. <laughs> oh, is that the one that they dye green for St. Patrick's Day? Uh, yeah, probably. That sounds very Boston. <laughs> I like that. Whenever I don't know for a while, like I, me and my friends, like went to Boston all the time. I don't know, maybe like for Salem or something. But like when we would drive in, we would play. 
that flogging Molly song that's like shipping off to Boston. And like you had to play it as you cross the border. I don't know what we were up to, but that's what we were up to. I love it. I love it. I'm here for it. (laughs) So on August 21st, 1983, Bignino returned to the Philippines ahead of his family. While waiting for transport from the Manila International Airport back to prison, he was assassinated. Corazon returned to the country a few days later to lead her husband's funeral procession. And yes, I know, like, so far, this is a lot about her relationship with a man more than it is about her own experiences. But these moments would really shape her future more than even she realized at that time. After her husband's death, Aquino, along with the People Power Revolution movement, participated in nonviolent and peaceful demonstrations against the Marcos regime. She initially had no intentions of running for president, but other members of the revolution encouraged her to do so. Marcos assumed that he still had the support of the people and called an election in February of 1986 against Aquino. He wasn't worried because he had decided that Aquino was just a woman. Hmm. Yep. (laughs) That's like a literal quote that he said. Like, he's not even trying to hide it. Oh, it's just a woman. Love it. Love it. On February 7th, 1986, when the polls closed, Aquino was projected to be the winner of the election. However, when the official count was released, Marcos had been declared the winner. It's giving Gore versus Bush. It's giving hanging chads. It feels suspect. Oh, AF. It's really no shock, right? Like a dictatorial government in which the president who abolished the term limit laws might possibly have rigged or falsified the results of an election. Like, no way. I can't believe it. Sarcasm. (laughs) After this intense but peaceful protest took place across the country and Aquino stood firm but encouraged peace agreements. As a result, no one was shot or killed during these protests and the movement became known as the People Power Revolution. And I just think that's amazing. Like a woman in a position of power, like no man could like, I mean, maybe not no man, but like, it's just this idea that she's the one who's the winner. And she's saying, no, we're going to do this peacefully. Mm-hmm. And it worked. That's the thing. I think that is shocking. Cause I don't, I don't think that a woman couldn't rule the fact that the people were so insistent that she rule and respectful enough to be like, okay, like, you technically won that election. Like, let's see what you can do. Like, I I think that that's amazing. And that's definitely coming from, like, as an American, like... Right, yeah, I was thinking that. The things that people said about, like, Hillary running, like, it was just so shocking. Like, why would she even consider running? What about her period? Like, things that people actually fucking said. Yeah. Like, the fact that, like, this was years ago in a country that, like, terrible Americans would consider to be, like, you know, so much beneath us, you know? they had this going like they had a a better political system Mm -hmm. or a more i mean this is from the year you were born yeah right like like your entire lifetime and we can't get there in the u.s but they can do it there Mm -hmm. meanwhile we were dealing with with ronald reagan so (laughs) ronald reagan who was president of the united states at the time was friends with marcos which is suspicious anyway He was friends with him. He supported his win. Um, But after four days of political unrest, with the support of Reagan, Ferdinand Marcos and his wife, Imelda, fled to Hawaii. So, like, the only thing I know about, like, Imelda Marcos is shoes. And I wonder if she took all her shoes with her. (laughs) And I don't know how I know about the shoes. Like, it's, like, what she's known for. Yeah, but, like, why do I know that? I was just, like, she had a bunch of shoes. And I was, like, I feel like she had 3,000 shoes. And I Googled it, and I was exactly right about the shoes. Like, how did that become, like, her point of, of mention? Well, she's a woman. It has to be about fashion or makeup or, f- or motherhood or something. Maybe people were like, this chick has 3,000 shoes in a country that, like, is kind of poor. It's like, like a let them eat cake sort of situation, yes. right? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, well, she took all her shoes to Hawaii with her. <laughs> On February 25th, 1986, Aquino was sworn in as the 11th and first female president of the Philippines. She served one term and left office in 1992. As we mentioned, Aquino won the election. 
an hour, one hour, 60 minutes after she was inaugurated, the newly ousted dictator Ferdinand Marcos held his own inauguration ceremony somewhere else. Because, you know, men can't lose, I guess. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but his inauguration ceremony was not officially recognized, and Marcos fled the Philippines that same day. Like, of course it wasn't officially recognized. Like, what a weirdo. Like, thanks <laughs> for making me president of your country. I'm about to leave. Bye. Like, grab your shoes. We're going to Hawaii. Like, how dare you? Like, the audacity. Like, I guess men have always had it. Because it's just like, oh, yeah, I didn't win. But, like, here's my speech about how I won. And I'm also leaving. What? Yeah. What? Did anybody <laughs> go to this? Were there refreshments served? Like, what, what was this, sir? I mean... You ask these questions, but think about what happens in this country with someone who lost and people like that. Someone tried to do the same thing, like hold a speech about how we won and not admitting to losing. I'm not sure what you're referring to. No, I don't know who oh, I'm talking about. If only he'd left the country. I, I wish. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> I can't. I listen. I'm not ready for him to run again like i i will need medication because yeah. the last election cycle was a lot granted i've lost a lot of the friends who were in support of him so i guess that's good like I, i've shed that uh that dead weight so like it will probably be not as stressful constantly trying to like convince people and like understand their points of view that's that ship has sailed yeah so it'll probably be a little bit easier if he does run again but I don't want it. No. Nope. No. I don't want to deal with it. Well, Marcus's lack of acceptance for Aquino's win was not really shocking. During Corey's run for president, Marcus often made sexist statements about her. He once said that she was just a woman whose place was in the bedroom. Ugh. Gross. <laughs> well, her response to that, may the better woman win this election. Oh... Have you ever seen that clip with the interview with uh, Lauren Conrad, where she's asked what her favorite position is? No. So <laughs> I'm a little nervous, though. Yeah, so this dude's like, what's your favorite position? And without missing a beat, Lauren Conrad goes, CEO. And it was like, oh, because he was talking about sexual positions, but she was talking about business. Do it, Lauren Conrad. It was amazing. And I like, like Lauren Conrad, do you know who that is? I think she's a fashion designer now, but she started out like on the hills. Like, I was just like, eh, this show seems boring. And then she wrote some like fiction books. So I met her at like a book signing at Barnes & Noble. That's what I recognized the name from yeah. was books. I was like, I feel like it's an author, but. And I'm like, she's very sweet. But then she did this and I was like, oh, you're not only sweet, like you're, you're a boss. Thank you so much for that. Love it. Oh, so eloquent response to a very sexist, stupid question. Because I don't think that the man who was interviewing her would have asked another man what his favorite position was. Oh, no. I don't no. think that would have happened. Absolutely and her not. answer was absolutely genius. And I think about it once a week. So thank you, Lauren Conrad. Yeah. Not only did Marcos attack her for being, attack uh, Aquino for being a woman, he often attacked her for her inexperience in politics. This was something that Corey admitted to, stating that she had no experience in cheating, lying to the public, and stealing government money, and killing political opponents. I love this. It's like, insert tea-sipping gif right here. Just like, right? Love it. Like, it's just she, like... Lauren Conrad got it. Like, those are both such good clapbacks. Just like, yeah. Exactly. Just way to turn it on him, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, you're right. I don't have experience in doing all the shitty things that politicians do. I'm going to do it my way. Mm -hmm. So not only was she the first female president of the Philippines, but she was and is to this day the only president of the Philippines to never have held any prior political position. Hmm. The difference between a female candidate without experience versus the U.S. and its male candidate without experience. Again, I don't know what you're referencing. Yeah, yeah. Who could I be talking about? My goodness. One of the first things that Aquino did when she was in office was abolish the 1973 Constitution. This is the one that Marcos had put in when he like got rid of his term limits and all of that. And... Uh, I just want to really focus on this for a second because this is a wild concept for those of us in the U.S. who see a document like the Constitution as practically sacred. But it's really actually 
less common to not have the constitution rewritten over time. Like there are many countries throughout the world who have gone through various constitutions mm-hmm. because things change in the mm-hmm. world. And we should maybe reflect that in our constitution. Yeah. And so people will claim, oh, we do that by amendments. Sure, that's adding things. Mm-hmm. But sometimes there are things that need to be taken away because times have changed. Yeah. I don't I don't know what the, the chokehold is with America and this constitution. Like guns. It's about guns. Yeah. But like they were talking about muskets and stuff. Like well, I know. And yeah. and you know what? I don't have a problem with the concept of guns altogether, but the yeah. way that you're they're applying again, this is an 18th century constitution mm-hmm. being applied with 21st century technology. Yeah. Things need to change. Anyway, I have I have thoughts and feelings on that. And but. like that is a rant for another episode, which maybe. Add it to the list. I'm like, the wheels are turning. How can we cover that? How can we make it so that we just talk about, like, guns for an hour? Anyway. Their constitution, this prior constitution that had been forced during the era of martial law, it was replaced by this new provisional one, or temporary one. Uh, It was called the 1986 Freedom Constitution. It was basically put in place while the government worked to create a more formal and comprehensive constitution. On February 2nd, 1987, approximately a year after Aquino was sworn into office, the Constitution of the Philippines was ratified. It established a Bill of Rights and a three-branch government consisting of the executive, legislative, and judicial departments. The legislative department was restored to a bicameral Congress. Basically, it had two branches, senators and representatives, restoring what had been abolished under Marcos. It remains the Constitution of the Philippines to this day. After the ratification of the Constitution, Aquino put into effect two landmark legal codes, the Family Code of 1987 and the Administrative Code of 1987. The Family Code reformed the civil law on family relations, and the Administrative Code reorganized the structure of the Executive Department of Government. So, like the Family Code in particular, this one dealt with issues related to like marriage, divorce, property among those couples. Uh, the family as an institution, parental obligations, adoption, financial support, and even emancipation. So there was a lot sort of covered under it. We'll link the the document in the show notes. So if you're interested in learning more, you can check it out. One of the earlier pledges that Corey made was to the pe- made to the people was in regards to agrarian reform and land redistribution. She saw this basically as the centerpiece of her administration and social agenda. She wanted to redistribute land not only to farmers, but to other workers and the landless poor. What a concept. I mean, yeah, it's it's cute. Like, hey, we're going to take everything and make sure that everyone has a piece of something. Uh. That's wild and I guess it's socialism, but <laughs> I'm here for it. I'm, I'm, I'm always here for I'm it. I'm always here for everyone having a little bit of something. That's what she said. However, Corey's background kind of worked against her. She was a member of the landed class. She came for money, and her family owned lots of land. As a result, her land reform agenda faced a lot of criticisms. Then there was the Mendiola Massacre. This was a tragedy that took place in January 22, 1987, on Mendiola Street in Manila, in which Aquino's state security forces violently dispersed the, a farmer's march to the palace in protest of the lack of government action on land reform. Because Aquino had not taken the necessary steps to actually enact any of her land reform campaign promises, there were rallies and demonstrations. In addition to farmers, there were also workers and students protesting. So my thought is, like, did she do nothing or was she, like, in the process of doing something and it wasn't happening fast enough for people? I mean, I don't have the exact answer for that, but um, I think there is some idea that because of her family's situation, she -hmm. was trying to find a way to, like, do what she wanted to do, but without, like, turning her whole family against her, I guess. So I think even if it was too slow, it's like, hey, you made these promises. Like, Mm -hmm. let's make sure something happens before your, your term is up. Fair. 
there. So according to survivors of the massacre, there were anti-riot personnel that were disguised as civilians and they opened fire on unarmed protesters. At least 12 people died and 51 people were injured. The massacre resulted in multiple cabinet resignations, including the head of the Presidential Committee on Human Rights and his chairman. Also, a chairman of the government panel in charge of negotiations with rebel forces. Six months later, on July 22, 1987, Aquino issued Presidential Proclamation 131 and Executive Order 229, which outlined her land reform program, which was enacted in 1988 and redistributed agricultural land from landowners to tenant farmers. Landowners were paid in exchange by the government through just compensation. Basically, like, thanks for the land. Here's some money. Now get over it. (laughs) And they weren't allowed to retain more than the equivalent of 12.3 acres of land for themselves. So corporate landowners were allowed to voluntarily divest or redistribute stocks to farmers in lieu of turning over their land for redistribution. The law was flawed, but the Supreme Court upheld it as constitutional in 1989. So that bit about corporate landowners, yeah, that led to the Hacienda Luisita controversy. And Aquino herself was part of it. Hacienda Luisita was a 16,000-acre estate that Aquino and her siblings had inherited from their father. Instead of land distribution, they decided to reorganize into a corporation and give stocks to farmers. Critics argue that the only reason that stock redistribution had been an option under the land reform policies was because Aquino was giving into family pressure, which, like, might be true. I mean, yes, but that is that has like a little whiff of odor of corruption, Mm -hmm. right? Like, oh, land reform for everybody except for corporations. And hey, FYI, we're a corporation now. You know, it's like, "Mm, sucks. I I just I kind of feel like. For her, being that she wasn't corrupt in, like, any other... Not saying that, like, a little corruption is okay. But I think it was like, hey, I have eight siblings that, like, I'm going to piss off. And I'm not going to be president forever. Maybe I need to do something to make things okay with my family. And, like, yes, corruption, but, like, just, like, a tiny bit. Just a drop of corruption. Well, yeah. I mean, the thing was, they weren't the only corporation. If it was like yes. only ex- saying their family and, and nothing else, then it would have been a lot more obvious. Yes. Which I feel like has probably been done here where it's like, hey, this rule is just for my family because I'm a politician, you know, like. Yeah, for sure. She made it for everyone. Like she was like, hey, this is for every corporation, not just my family. The whole stock redistribution plan thing wasn't revoked in the Philippines until 2006 when the Department of Agrarian Reform mandated the redistribution of the Hacienda Luisita land. So eventually they were told, no, sorry, this doesn't count. You've got to dissolve. Yeah, like you can't do this. You can't keep getting away with this. Exactly. Electricity blackouts were very common in Manila during Aquino's presidency. The city frequently experienced seven to 12 hour long blackouts, which which severely affected businesses there, leading to the loss of hundreds of millions of dollars. So now what you're thinking, like, how is this her fault? It's lights. But (laughs) when Aquino decided to deactivate the Bataan nuclear power plant, this plant had been built during the Marcos administration and had a capacity of 620 megawatts. Is Which I watts? literally have, I have no idea how much that is, but I think it's a lot. <laughs> how watts was it for in Back to the Future to make the car start? 1.21 gigawatts. <laughs> gigawatts. That's not this. Megawatts. So instead of gigawatts, they had megawatts, and there were 620 of them, which should have been enough to cover the shortfall of power at that time. Yeah. However, however, critics claim that the plant was unsafe and the company building it had actually paid millions of dollars in bribes to President Marcos and his cronies. So it was shut down, like for safety reasons or alleged safety reasons. Unfortunately, no adequate replacement had been put in place during Aquino's time as president, and she left office with the country dealing with a severe power shortage crisis. Outside of like her own country, Aquino also dealt with the U.S. military and their presence in the Philippines at the time. Mm-hmm. One of the things that she did, and 
you know, it was a bit controversial at the time, was convince the U.S. to withdraw its military from the remaining bases that were located in the Philippines. So, I mean, I look at that and see it as good, but yeah. it could have caused some some instability at the time. I guess like from them spending money and like having the protection of them being there. Yeah. And maybe maybe it wasn't in that area that it was an issue, but more like the the U.S. was like, you know, this was kind of getting her. I don't want to say on the bad side of the U.S., but kind of like a yeah, critical because, perspective from the outside. Mm-hmm. Because that's like, hey, we have our base here. We store all our things. So like if we need to pick a war with someone else, like we're closer to do it. Like. I get that. And then being like, hey, could you leave and like take your stuff with you? Like they lose that port. Yeah, I don't really know enough to talk about it in detail, but I know that that was one of the things that happened during her presidency, um, for better or for worse. They're probably doing shit they shouldn't be doing in the Philippines. Yeah. And I think honestly, there's probably less of a problem with the Filipinos in this decision and more of a problem with the U.S. in this decision. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, exactly. No, I I get that. I'm like, for their safety, they should send all those Americans home because, like, God knows. Over the course of Corey's term in office, there were at least half a dozen coup attempts against her from supporters of Ferdinand Marcos. Additional coup attempts were conducted by the Reform the Armed Forces Movement, a group that were trying to establish a new military government instead. Aquino survived all coup attempts, and credit is given to her low-key yet stubborn political style. Basically, she wasn't going to engage in violence and didn't give credibility to those trying to overthrow her, but was willing to engage in discourse with them to resolve problems. I love that so much. She's like, listen, I'm not going to fight with you, but if you want to sit down and have like a conversation about what works for the both of us, let's, let's do, do it. it. This is why we need women in office. <laughs> right? That's, <laughs> that's exactly that's all like I kept thinking. Oh, my God. So... Aquino's supporters were like, this is why we need women in office. And they urged her to run for a second term in 1992 when her term was coming to an end. But she refused because the new constitution that she had helped to create prohibited second terms. Her supporters claimed that, like, she was elected before the constitution came into effect. So, like, the rule didn't apply to her. But she stood her ground and decided to set an example for the people and future leaders. Like, her whole fight was against leaders who would put their need for power before the rules. So, like, she would look like such a hypocrite if she was like, yep. oh, but yeah, this rule that I made doesn't apply to me. So, like, good for her for setting her ground. But I do wonder what other actions she could have taken. Like, I wonder what things would have looked like. Yeah, the term was six years, so it's longer than the U.S. presidential term. And, you know, we've seen it time and time again where men in power will say, oh, yeah, we're going to do it this way. And that applies to everyone except me. Except me and my family and my buddies. And the closest that she came to this was with the land reform issue where she like there's there's controversy around the idea that maybe she created this loophole Mm -hmm. so her family could uh, get away with things. But overall and most consistently, she did not fall victim to her own power. Mm -hmm. In Corazon Aquino's term as president from 1986 to 1992, things were far from perfect, as we just heard. Mm -hmm. But what political leader is perfect? Bernie Sanders. He's not. He's just not. I mean, I adore him, but he's just not. (laughs) It sounds like you want to fight me, and we can after this. But, like, I need you to take back what you said about Bernie, because he's perfect. (laughs) I will not. (laughs) So we're going to fight. We will fight. (laughs) That'll be a Patreon exclusive. (laughs) However, even with the many issues we just addressed, there there were some positive things that took place as well. Yeah. First and foremost, she restored democracy in the Philippines and reestablished the Constitution. She did this by abolishing the legislature and declaring a revolutionary government and appointing a 50-member commission to write the new Constitution. She instituted many radical changes and reforms during the first few months of her presidency. In addition to the Constitutional Commission, she also created the Presidential Commission on Good Government, which targeted Marcos and his ill-gotten wealth and corruption. The plan here was basically to seize Marcos's multi-billion dollar fortune. Marcos had previously issued many governmental rulings that awarded monopolistic power over entire industries, 
This occurs when one business dominates an entire market. Like think of Amtrak, at least in America. Yeah. Of course, these industries were led by close associates of Marcos. I mean, oh, shocked. (laughs) I can't believe this happened. This is known as crony capitalism. Aquino, on the other hand, worked towards a market liberalization agenda to combat monopolies. In particular, she targeted the sugar industry and the coconut industry. That sounds delicious. So Aquino and her administration put emphasis on civil liberties and human rights. She also took time to engage in peace talks with rebels and secessionists. Her focus was on reestablishing the economic well-being of the country that had been lost under Marco's regime. She was trying to figure out why the rebels and the secessionists were unhappy and trying to change things. Now, the debt in the Philippines during Marcus's regime grew from $3 billion in 1970 to $28 billion by 1986. A lot of this came about from the privatization and deregulation that he did. Aquino inherited all this debt, and she weighed her options on what to do with it, including the possibility of not paying it. I mean, same. (laughs) I get a bill and I'm just like, "Mm, what if I just never... But instead, she chose to honor all her previous debts to improve her country's economic reputation. This was an unpopular opinion, but she defended her decision, saying that it was a practical move. During her term, Aquino and her administration succeeded in paying off $4 billion of the country's outstanding debts. I mean, it's a lot of debt, and it maybe mm-hmm. it's just taken a little bit off, but it's it's something. Yeah. In her first year in office, Corey's economy posted a growth of 3.6%, and the economy continued to grow at an overall positive rate throughout her tenure as president. She made fighting inflation one of her highest priorities, especially after the previous six years of the Marcos administration, where the average annual inflation had been 20.9% and had peaked at 50.3%. 50.3% inflation. Like, what What even is that? What is milk like? 15 bucks like that's insane like what was going what was going on like how during Aquino's presidency the average inflation rate was only about 9.2 percent and it peaks at 18.1 which you know is still pretty high but relatively speaking her highest inflation rate was below his lowest yeah like what what was he doing like how Women find all the deals, right? In 1988, Aquino oversaw the re-implementation of local elections, and in 1992, the first presidential election under the new constitution. Again, Corey declines requests to run for re-election because she wanted to set an example for both citizens and politicians. And like we said, it seems like the bare minimum, but we've seen it before where leaders say they won't run, but they do. Like, Or or they just get rid of elections, and they're like, no, I'm just going to stay... In power, Uh, Cuba, Mm. (laughs) for one, right? So this this decision that she makes is pleasantly unorthodox, but I'm I'm here for it. On June 30th, 1992, Corazon Aquino formally and peacefully transferred the power of the presidency to Fidel Ramos. Aquino left the ceremony in a Toyota that she had purchased for herself instead of leaving in the fancy government-issued Mercedes in which she and Ramos had arrived in. The purpose was to show people that she was once again a regular citizen. So what was Aquino's impact? You know, what was what's sort of the legacy that she's left behind? Well, after the presidency, Aquino remained active in the political scene. She did not hesitate to voice her dissent towards government actions and policies that she saw as a threat to the democratic foundations of the country that had been established during her time as president. She continued to speak out against violence, against homelessness in the Philippines, and she remained active to the public, voicing her views and opinions about pressing political issues. She supported Fidel Ramos, who was her secretary of defense in his candidacy to replace her as president. He won the election, but since there were so many candidates and there was no ranked voting, he didn't have the majority vote. I love ranked voting. Like, ranked voting, I wish we had, like, federal ranked voting, but... Mm -hmm. One day. Someday. Probably not, but maybe. But democracy has continued in the Philippines since Aquino was in office. It has faced some struggles, as all governments do, but it has endured. She worked together with... (laughs) Okay, so (laughs) I love this guy's name. But I just can't get over it because she worked together with Cardinal Jaime Sin. <laughs> like, 
His name is Cardinal Sin. What? That is funny. Sir, you're going to need to change your name if you'd like to retain this position. Like, it's not his fault it's his last name because it's obviously in... Maybe like, that's what led him to the church. <laughs> I, I'm sure it means something different mm-hmm. in Tagalog, Probably, but... Yeah. <laughs> anyway, she worked together with Cardinal Jaime Sin to oppose then-President Estrada, who attempted to remove term limits from the Constitution something she really fought for, and later to remove him from office. Estrada denied that he was trying to extend his stay in office, but it didn't matter anyway because with Aquino's efforts and those of others on her side, his proposal failed. In 2005, she led demonstrations which called for President Gloria Macapagal Arroyo's resignation after she was implicated in rigging the 2004 elections, which, of course, she won. That's what happens when you rig an election. Aquino is a lifelong member of the Council of Women World Leaders, which is an organization made up of former and current female heads of state. So the work they do is in the name. They empower women in world, they empower women in world leadership positions to take action on issues critical to the development of women. She also worked to reduce violence and homelessness in the Philippines long after her presidency. Aquino supported social housing projects for the poor and homeless, and in 2007, she helped establish a nonprofit organization who aims to provide financial programs and projects for the poor. She also traveled to other countries where she gave speeches and lectures on issues related to democracy, development, human rights, and women's empowerment. From 1992 until her death, she served as chairperson of the Benigno S. Aquino Jr. Foundation, which she established after her husband's assassination. In her spare time, she enjoyed painting and often gave away her paintings or auctioned them off and gave the proceeds to charity. She did not sell her art for profit. Well, let's talk a little bit about her son. Mm -hmm. In 2007, Aquino's son, Benigno Aquino III, or Noinoi, ran for the Senate and Corey openly campaigned for him. Unfortunately, Aquino never saw her son elected as president. In 2010, less than a year after she passed away, Noinoi would take office as the 15th president of the Philippines, serving from 2010 to 2016. I like his name, Noinoi. Yeah. Really cute. I wonder if it means something that's supposed to be like strong and prestigious. And I'm just like, oh, little Noinoi. Like, that's so cute. Like, what if it's like William there? I, I, I mean, I, I think it's like, like Benigno, and we'd be like, oh, Benny, yeah, or something. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> so Akina's won many awards and distinctions. So she was Time Magazine's Woman of the Year in 1986. Uh, that was the year she was elected. I didn't get it because I was just born that year, but like, I'm glad that she got it. Yeah, yeah. In 1999, she was chosen as one of Time's 20 most influential Asians of the 20th century. Feels sus. What? Like specifically Asian? Like, well, I guess. I guess. Like, why I, not? I don't know. That it's mm, a weird distinction, but maybe I, not. Anyway, yeah. Do they have? Do they have a Time's 20 most influential white people? <laughs> have like one for each race like that's what i'm thinking i was like they have like black people white people that uh, they probably like, have they probably have every category except white people and that's where the problem lies right they probably made this category because they were like well our first list is filled with so many white people and we're gonna have to make one just for asians i mean you're probably not wrong oh man and in 2006 they cited her as one of the 65 great asian heroes also in 1986, she was awarded the Eleanor Roosevelt Human Rights Award, the United Nations Silver Medal, and the Canadian International Prize for Freedom. That's a lot in like that one year. Right? <laughs> I mean, she was becoming president, the first female president in Asia. I mean, she's impressive, so she should get impressive awards. Good for her. In 1994, she was cited as one of 100 women who shaped world history in a reference book written by Gail Meyer Rolka. She was awarded the Fulbright Prize for International Understanding in 1996 and the Raymond Magsaysay Award in 1998 for her role in the peaceful revolution to attain democracy in her country. In 2008, there was a musical written about her. I mean, it's not like an opera, like written for RBG, but it's still pretty cool. 
goodness. It was called Corey the Musical, and it was staged at the Morocco Theater in Pasig in the Philippines. She also has numerous public landmarks and memorials named after her since her death. She also got a lot of praise from others. Hillary Clinton stated that Aquino was admired by the world for her extraordinary courage in leading the fight against dictatorships. And Pope Benedict XVI applauded her courageous commitment to the freedom of the Filipino people and her firm rejection of violence and intolerance. In March 2008, Aquino announced that she had been diagnosed with colon cancer. She sought an aggressive treatment and survived longer than expected. But unfortunately, she passed away on August 1st, 2009. She was 76 years old. After her passing, Filipino citizens across the country dressed in yellow and held masses to pay tribute to her. Yellow ribbons, a symbol of support for Aquino after her election, were tied along national roads as a sign of solidarity and support for Aquino and her family. Even on social media platforms such as Facebook and Twitter, many Filipinos posted yellow ribbons in tribute to the former president. Many Filipino Catholics also called on the Catholic Church to have Aquino declared a saint. And shortly after her funeral, there were calls to add Corazon to the 500 peso bill alongside her husband. This change took place in 2010. Aquino has been described as both the mother of democracy in the Philippines and the housewife who led a revolution. Corazon Aquino had a great impact on the freedom and welfare of millions of people. She accomplished so much during her life and was beloved by many people around the world. So, final thoughts, takeaways. What do you got? So, I knew very little about Corazon Aquino before we covered her. And it's just kind of sad because she did a ton of stuff. Like, she was huge. But yeah. I, mean, I was like... A little baby, but yeah, you're excused. <laughs> but also, I don't think our history books like really have spoken about her. I mean, our history books mostly focus on like our history and like British history. So, like, I feel like every other country kind of gets like thrown to the side. So, like, there wasn't an opportunity until now. I'm an adult with Google, so I can like look up things. And she's really, really interesting. And it, it could have been so easy for her to just move back to Boston when her husband was killed. Like, it was the happiest time of her life, right? Like her husband's now gone. So it's like, well, I'm going to go back to those happy times and go live in Boston. But, you know, she, they had this shared vision for what their country could be. And she pushed forward. And like, there are millions of lives that are better for it. Yeah, abso- absolutely. I, I mean, Aquino's been on our to-do list for a while. And like, I remember us having a conversation where we were getting to her name in the sketch. And we we're like, wait, who is this again? <laughs> and like, I think this says it all, and it it really doubles down on what you were just saying about our history books and what we're actually learning about. You know, why do we not know more about the first female president in Asia? Obviously, when we added her to the list, there was something more we wanted to know. And and now we do. So I'm I'm so excited. Right. I love that we cover so many women that people are familiar with, but like, I also like the idea of introducing people to new women in history, mm-hmm. including ourselves, like introducing yeah. ourselves to these new people. Like, I'm sure there are some listeners out there who had heard of Aquino before, but for those who hadn't, like us, you know, I'm glad that we could share her with you all today. So we've got a couple of references for you if you want to look into stuff a little bit more further. To Love Another Day, a memoir by Corey Aquino. Corazon Aquino, Revolutionary President of the Philippines by Carrie Engel. Hori, Profile of a President, The Historic Rise of Power of Corazon Aquino by Isabella T. Cristomo. And Corazon Aquino, U.S. Congress Speech, which is a a video on YouTube, which is really, uh, really impressive. So let us know what you thought of this episode. Do you have anything to add to the conversation that we might have left out? Do you have any suggestions for women we could cover in the future? Follow the podcast on Twitter at Big Rep Pod and Instagram and TikTok at Big Reputations Pod. Send us a message or email us at BigReputationsPod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Subscribe to us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Share us with your friends, your family, and even your political rivals. Maybe you could find some common ground. Subscribe and leave a five-star review. Check out our Big Reputations merch. The link is in the show notes as well as in our Linktree link found on all our social media platforms. Thanks again to our wonderful logo designer, Samantha Marmolejo, for putting that together for us. Be sure to take a picture and tag us when you make a purchase. And remember, we've got a Patreon now. Patreon.com slash Big Reputations pod or just check out the link in our Linktree. 
Whether you pledge two or five dollars, you will get a shout out in our episodes. And if you choose a five dollar level, you'll have exclusive access to our Little Reputations episodes. These are short mini episodes about amazing women throughout history. All right, so let's wrap up this episode. Kim, what quote do you have for us this week? Anyway, so I found like the best quote from Aquino. She said, I reached a point in my life where it's no longer necessary to try to impress. If they like me the way I am, that's good. If they don't, that's too bad. Fucking love that. That's that's me. I, I hit 30 and it was like, ah, that's it. I would like this tattooed on me. And as always, believe women. later married to William Carey. This was more likely a marriage for money as Carey was very wealthy. However, Mary was having an affair with the king for years. I don't know if you want to call it an affair affair, but like there were things happening there. Stuff and things Stuff happening. And things. Well, I mean, this was the case anyway until her sister Anne showed up. You know, not a lot is known about the relationship between Anne and Mary, so of